Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading from today, uh, as uh, Abby read earlier, comes from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, uh, verse 8 through 11. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to that passage. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you today, uh, we actually have some uh, available on the table in the little lobby area. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one of those and take it and keep it just as our gift to you. Um, or if you just forgot your Bible, you can um, put it back there um, after the service. Uh, but Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, uh, these words uh, we believe were, were penned, were written down by the prophet Moses, but he was writing these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and therefore these things come to us today with authority, the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were teaching us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I missed you all last week. Um, as uh, some of you may know, I was uh, leading a group uh, so many of our church members, we are away in Israel, um, and it's a really an amazing trip. If you've never done that trip, I just I highly recommend it. Um, this is the, the fourth time I've actually gone, had the opportunity to go uh, to the Holy Land, and it really does just keep getting better every trip. So um, it's something that I, I really, really highly uh, recommend, um, and it's a great adventure. It's a, it's a great journey. Uh, for those of you that, that do like to travel, though, um, and that find yourself traveling, um, if you're a good traveler, you know how to put together uh, a well-balanced, nutritious meal uh, from gas station food. You uh, are able, you have this skill. I mean, if, you, if you're a good traveler, you know how to, to make the best. Because, you know, sometimes you get caught in the middle of the night. Sometimes you get caught and you're just really in a hurry. And you, you got to have gas station uh, meal preparation skills if you really want to be a great traveler. And, and for those of us that went to Israel last week, we actually got to use those skills uh, last Saturday because of this command. Uh, in Israel, uh, they observe the Sabbath, and we were traveling on a Saturday, uh, and we were in an area where most all the restaurants, most all the food places were closed. The only place we could really find to eat was a gas station, and uh, we made the best of it. Now, obviously, here in America, we don't observe the Sabbath in the same kind of way. Um, in Israel, of course, everything shuts down. In fact, at our hotel, I don't think this was explained, so for those of you that went on the trip, this is why it was this way, but in our hotel, the, the elevators actually, on the Sabbath day, go on Sabbath mode, uh, which means they still go to every floor, um, and, but they, you can't push the button to choose your floor. It just goes to the first floor opens the door, goes to the second floor, goes to the third floor, and just literally goes to every floor. So you can still use it, 
you just, you just have to go to every floor. So if you're on you know, a high floor, it's not really that efficient. But the reason the elevators do that is because one of the prohibitions on the Sabbath is you can't build a fire on the Sabbath. And rabbis teach that by pushing the button, you complete a circuit, therefore building a fire, therefore breaking Sabbath law. And so they have Sabbath mode um, uh, on the elevators. So obviously this ancient command means something very different in Israel than it means here. And so I think the question that we should ask today is, does it really have anything for us? Is there anything in this old command that really means anything today? Or is this something that, that we now in Christ can just kind of ignore? It's interesting, you know, all of the Ten Commandments are actually repeated in the New Testament. In fact, a lot of times they're, they're re-emphasized in the New Testament. Uh, just an example, this is from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, right? So that's a command, six commandments coming up. Uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, so And this is oftentimes the pattern in the New Testament. Not only are these commandments repeated, um, but Jesus kind of doubles down on these commandments. and say, hey, it's actually more intense than you even thought. Every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament except for this one. This Sabbath command is found nowhere, uh, at least in terms of in an affirmative way, uh, reaffirming way in the New Testament. So does it have anything to say uh, to us? Well, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've, we've been in this series that we're calling the Ten Rules, and we're walking through these ancient commandments, more literally the Ten Words, the the Decalogue. And today we come to the fourth rule, the fourth word that we're calling the rule of rhythm. And, and as we've been looking at these ancient rules, these ancient commands, we've been looking at them through the lens of three different things. The first thing is the practical wisdom that they provide. The second uh, thing is, the, is what these commands teach us about the character of God. And then lastly, we've been looking at what these commands teach us about the gospel, or particularly our gospel needs. So let's follow that pattern uh, today. So what is the practical wisdom of this command? Well, one of the things that's interesting about this command is it actually doesn't begin as a command. Uh, it, it, it doesn't begin in the same way that a lot of the commandments begin. Nine or, or eight, rather, of the commandments begin with the phrase, you shall, you shall or you shall not. Uh, one command, uh, the next, the fifth command, begins with the word honor, the imperative to honor. But this command begins differently. It says, remember. Remember the Sabbath. It's as if it's not a new command that Moses is giving from Mount Sinai. It's, it's an ancient command. It's, it's as if there is something about this command that's built into the pattern of the entire world. You know, of course, uh, we understand the, the year. We celebrate our year based on the Earth's orbit. The Earth takes a year to go around the sun. We celebrate a day because of the rotation of the earth. We celebrate a week, basically based on the lunar cycle, right? Uh, I'm sorry, a month, basically based on the lunar cycle, but, but a week. Why do, we, why do we have seven day weeks? Why do we understand our week in this way? Well, you know why? Why we do this across the whole world? It's actually because of the Ten Commandments and because of the rhythm that was set in place 
by this scripture, and the world has recognized this and said, no, this is actually good. That six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember this rhythm. Remember this. Do not forsake it. And again, there's actually kind of two commands uh, within this one command. The first is you shall work. For six days, you shall work. In God's rhythm, in this rhythm of God, work is good. We need to remember that. Work is not a result of the fall. Work is not a result of the curse. No, no, work is good. Work is something that pleases God, that God himself has set in place. God created the world in such a way to where it needed work. It needed us to work it and keep it. When God made Adam, he put him into the garden and he commanded the man, work this garden, keep this garden. Get to work, Adam. Put your hands into the dirt and take the raw materials that I have given you and cultivate something and make something and work this land and make it beautiful. You shall work. And really, that's what all work is. We've talked about this before. As you are working, you are taking the raw materials of this world and you are ordering them. You are cultivating them. You are fashioning them to make them right, to make them beautiful. If you are a teacher, what are you doing? You are ordering something, right? You are bringing order to a classroom, which is a very hard thing to do. You're creating a culture. You're you're taking instruction. You're taking lessons, and you're ordering it in a way that it can be comprehended and learned. If you're in business, what are you doing? You're you're going into an industry, and you're bringing order there. You're bringing whatever the product is uh, to a market in an orderly and rhythmic kind of way. Uh, If you are a stay-at-home mother or stay-at-home Father, what are you doing? You're bringing order. You're bringing order out of chaos, right? That's a very hard job. And you have to take your hands and put them into the raw materials of your household and bring order there. This is good. God has commanded us to be workers. I want you to work. I want you to make this chaos. I want you to make this world beautiful. And this is the plan of God. And so the first part of the command is you shall work. Only let your work be unto God. Let your work be a reflection of God. Through the years, I've enjoyed reading this essay that we've actually read for a spotted cow called Why Work by Dorothy Sayers. She's writing it shortly after World War II in England. And during the war, everyone was busy and everyone worked and nobody really cared about how good of a deal they were getting and nobody really cared about how much margin they were making. Everybody was working because of the dignity of the work because these jobs needed to be done. And people were working because the jobs that they were doing were important. And she's a little bit in the essay bemoaning that after the war ended, people went back to their old ways of being selfish, their old ways of using work to serve themselves and not finding dignity in the labor that they were doing. But at one point, she talks about how Christians should work. She talks about Christians should work through the whole thing. But at one point, she says, let the church remember this, that every maker and worker is called to serve God in his profession or trade, not outside of it. You realize that? Whatever your trade is, whatever your profession is, you are called to serve God in that profession, Your service to the Lord is not just that you volunteer in the lounge. So that's important. That is service to the Lord. But all of what we're doing is actually 
supposed to be seen as a service to the Lord. Let the church see to it that the workers, um, that the workers are Christian people and do, who do their work well as to God. Then all the work will be Christian work, whether it is embroidery or sewing or sewage farming rather, sewage farming rather. As Jacques uh, Maritain says, if you want to produce Christian work, be a Christian and try to make a work of beauty into which you have put your whole heart. You know what would change the whole world? You know what would literally change the whole world? Is if Christians would actually work as unto the Lord. If Christians went out working, doing valuable things, in a way that pleases God, it would give us such a platform. It would, give, it would give us such a cultural advance. It would change the whole world. A couple of thoughts here on Christian work. Christians, if you work, and you should all work. This is part of the command. You shall work. Christians should work hard. There's a couple of Bible verses to back these up. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. This is repeating this idea. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Christians should be known for how hard we work. Not for men, not for eye service, not even for our own reward in this life. But because we believe in the dignity of the, wor of the work that we're doing. And because we are serving the eternal God. Second thing, Christians should work well. Uh, it should be said, hey, you want to hire somebody good? Even by secular people, they should say, you don't want to hire somebody good? You want to hire somebody that will really get the job done and do it excellently? Hire a Christian. I don't know what it is about them, but they always do the very best jobs. That sh that's what should be said of us. Christians should work well. Christians should work with excellence. Again, not because we're serving men, not just when our boss is walking by, right? Everybody gets busy when, the, when their boss walks by. But what we are saying as Christians is that our boss is always walking by. <laughs> our boss is always peering over our shoulder. Our boss knows what we're doing because we're not working for an earthly boss. We're working for the Lord. You, you know what I want to do? You know what makes me feel great is when my dad is proud of me. You know, when, when my dad is proud of me, when my dad hears about something I did and he's proud of me, I, the, there's few things that make me feel better than that. In the same way, you know what makes me feel great is when Paige is proud of me. When Paige says, you did such a good job with that, man, I want to run through a wall for her. I, I, I love making, I love pleasing Paige. I love pleasing my, my earthly dad. Well, don't you see, this is, what the, this is how the Bible describes us in Christ, that we are the sons and daughters of God, that we are the bride of Christ. What does this mean for how we work as unto the Lord? Christians should work hard, we should work well, and lastly, Christians should work quietly. Now, what I mean by this is Christians should work without desiring to receive a lot of attention because of what we did. Christians should work quietly. We shouldn't always be talking about what we're doing and, and how we're achieving something. And beyond that, along the lines of working quietly, we should work without complaining. Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And I love this, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation 
among whom you will shine as lights in the world. You want to shine like a light? You want to have cultural influence? You want people to listen to you? Be quiet (laughs) and work hard and be excellent and quit complaining and you'll have influence and people will listen to you. People want that. Be useful. Be excellent. Nobody likes a whiner. Work hard, work well, work quietly. This would change the world. If Christians would, in our little six days that we're out working, do this, it would change the whole world. But, as the text goes on, one of the ways that you will do this, one of the ways, the only way that you'll be able to to really redeem those six days that we're out working is the next part of the passage. But remember the Sabbath day. And on it, the, the second command within this one command, the first one is you shall work. The second one is, you shall not work. (laughs) On this day, on the day of rest, you shall not work. So the two commands, you shall work and you shall not work. On the Sabbath day, it comes from the Hebrew Shabbat, which means to stop. It literally just means to stop. On the seventh day, stop. (laughs) On the seventh day, stop working. One day a week, stop working. Don't work. It's a Sabbath. It's the Lord's day. Now, a few thoughts on this, a few reasons that this is, again, we're still in the practical wisdom section here, but a few reasons this is good. A rhythm of rest is good. We weren't made to work all the time. You know, everything that I've read uh, says that, you know, if you you will stop, if you will rest one day a week, the, the six days that you are working, you'll be more productive. If you'll recharge, if you'll stop physically, mentally, emotionally, you need rest. But can we stop? Can you stop working? Are you able to stop? It's a Shabbat. Which brings me to the next point, which is this. It's rest is hard. Rest is good, but rest is hard. There's 39 different types of work outlined in the Sabbath laws. And each of them, so within the 39, there could be even dozens of applications of that law. So, for example, one of the laws is you're not allowed to finish anything on the Sabbath. Okay, well, that's interesting. So, for example, you can't, like, lace your shoes on the Sabbath. You can't uh, tune an instrument on the Sabbath. Uh, This is a literal rabbinical teaching. You can't even blow up a balloon on the Sabbath. Now, you know that when Jesus came, obviously he showed that some of these rabbinical teachings were very hypocritical and, and, and really not God's intention for the Sabbath. But the point that I'm trying to make here is all of these Sabbath laws, they show us, they demonstrate for us in the Old Testament that it's really hard to stop, isn't it? You have to be really intentional to gun down and rest. How hard is it to take a day off of work? And this is especially true for professional people, to, to not check an email, to not run to the office, to just stop. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I'm, <laughs> I am not, um, this is a very convicting sermon for me. Um, it is hard to protect rest. It is hard to protect Sabbath. You, you have to have guardrails around you. You know, I say this, you don't accidentally find yourself working in a productive way, do you? You know, no, your, your work takes intentionality. You have a plan, you pursue the plan. You go to work at these certain hours. You do these things to get things done. Well, the same way you don't accidentally rest, right? You, you have to be intentional. You have to actually pursue 
rest. You have to create guardrails because rest is hard. Thirdly, a rhythm of rest reminds. A rhythm of rest reminds. Work is good, and you should work well, and you should work hard, and you should work without complaining, but you shouldn't work all the time. If you work all the time, you will wrongly identify, you'll be overly identified with your work. You need to rest. You need to stop. A couple things that work or that rest reminds us of. First, rest reminds you that you're more than your work. You're more than your work. You know, the first things we ask uh, when you meet somebody, when you're making small talk with them, and, and we find a lot of pride in this, is what do you do? Hey, so what do you do? What do you do? It's, it's what we ask people. We size people up based on what they do, right? And if you have a really big job, you like when people ask you that. You're waiting for them to ask you that. Well, as a matter of fact, I, if you don't have a job, you hate that question, right? Or if you have a job that you don't like, or if you have a job that you think you're better than, you hate that question, right? You don't want to answer it. Personally, I love my job, and I'm proud to be a pastor, but I kind of hate that question. Because everyone, like, assigns all these things. As soon as you say you're a pastor, people treat you like you're a total weirdo, right? And, um, but that's what people do, right? They do that with every job. They do it with your job, too. They just, they just assign different things to you. And they just assign something to you. And maybe, maybe you like, maybe the reason you chose the job that you have is because you knew when you answer the question, what do you do? They were like, they're going to assign this to me and I want to be assigned that. But this is why you need to rest. It, it reminds you that you're not your job. It reminds you that you're more than your job. And one of the reasons that people don't rest is that you're really good at your job. And you're often praised in your job when you find a lot of affirmation in your job but that's why you need to rest because you're not your job if you're a christian then primarily you are a son or daughter of the living god you're not a banker you're not an attorney you're not a teacher that's not your primary identifier primarily you are god's son or god's daughter this is why you need rest it's good to, on a Sabbath, on a, at least one day a week, to do something that no one cares about, right? You know, on your Sabbath, when you're resting, to do things that aren't resume builders, right? That's good. It's actually good for you. It's good for your soul. It's good to, on those days, be under the authority of someone else. It's good to, even on those days, do something that you're kind of bad at. You know, go to a gym where you're the weakest person there, you know. You know, go golf, and then watch the masters, right? <laughs> Go realize that you're, you're not in control of this world. Just be you. You're not defined by what you do. That's not primarily who you are. We need to be reminded of that. So we need to be reminded that we're more than our work, and we also need to be reminded that we're weak. That's what the Sabbath day does. It reminds you that you actually need to rest. You actually need, you actually are fragile. You're not invincible. You know, Steve Jobs, I think about Steve Jobs, the most powerful, most amazing innovator of his generation. You know, his company, at least for a few months last year, was worth more than a trillion dollars. I mean, this, this icon of innovation. And Steve Jobs died when he was 56 years old because he got pancreatic cancer and nobody could do anything about it. 
And a Sabbath day reminds us, you know what, you're not invincible. You need rest. Your, your life is very temporary. You're more than your work. You know, same, in the same way, Howard Hughes, in his generation, you know, almost 100 years ago now, was daring, good-looking, rich. He was involved in business. He was involved in Hollywood. And toward the end of his life, he was so paranoid that he couldn't even leave a room. Here's the point. A Sabbath recenters you. You need a Sabbath to rest and to worship. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. A Sabbath day is a day to stop and to look to God, to remember God, to thank God, to learn more about God. You need this. I need this. Without a Sabbath, we will get lost. Which reminds us of the next point here. A rhythm of rest is good, a rhythm of rest is hard, a rhythm of rest reminds us, but a rhythm of rest is for the Lord. The point of a Sabbath day is to stop and focus on God. It's not merely rest. It's to stop working and focus on God. And Christians have always recognized that this is good, to have a day for worship, to have a day for instruction, to have a day where we gather and recognize the Lord. You know, and I just want to say this. It's easy to say, oh, well, I worship God all the time. You know, I'm thinking about God all the time. I don't really need this. You know. I don't really need this. Maybe I pray all the time. I don't really need this. I just want to say to you, rarely when I'm just thinking about God on my own do I get convicted about sin. Rarely when I'm just thinking about God on my own am I challenged. Rarely when I'm just thinking about God on my own am I, am I offended by the presence of God, <laughs> right? Usually when I'm thinking about God I'll be, uh, on my own, it's, it's comforting, it's happy thoughts. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying you need more than that in your spirituality. You need to gather with other believers. We, we need to be sitting under the preaching of God's word. We need worship. We need to sing. We need to come together. We need, we need one another. We need his word. We need his church. It's a Sabbath day for the Lord. And if you're not gathering and, and focusing on God with other believers on your Sabbath day, on your rest day, then the, the chances are you're creating an idol. You're creating God in your image and not in his image. And the final thought on this, the reason that the Sabbath day is for the Lord is God is worthy. <laughs> he's worthy of our whole lives, but he's created this rhythm so that we'll remember that he's worthy of our whole lives. We're giving him a day to be reminded that he is worthy of every day. He is God. Can we not stop one way, one day a week to acknowledge him? A rhythm of rest is for the Lord. So that's, that, that was all, and I know that was a lot. That was the practical wisdom side of this. But secondly, I want to get to the second big point, which is the character of God. What does the Sabbath day teach us about the character of God? One of the things that's interesting about this command is it does not ground itself in practical wisdom. There's a lot of practical wisdom in rest. We've just been talking about that. But that's not the reason that Moses gives the law. He doesn't say, hey, take a Sabbath day because there's a lot of practical wisdom about it. No, he, doesn't, he actually doesn't say any of the things that I've just said. He, he says, rest, stop working because in six days God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
know, there's a lot of ancient Near Eastern law codes. Um, some of y'all have heard of Hammurabi's codes. There was Ur, Namu, there was the Sassoon, an ancient Hittite code. And a lot of the things that we see in, you know, Old Covenant law kind of mirrors some of these other law codes, but not this. The Sabbath is unique. It's unique to Hebrew law because, again, there's not a lot of practical wisdom in it. It's not grounded in practical wisdom. It's grounded. Um, there is practical wisdom, but it's not grounded in practical wisdom. It's, it's grounded in the character of God. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, that brings up an interesting question. What does it mean that God rested, right? God rested. I mean, was God in jeopardy of being too identified with his job? I mean, you know, what, what, what was he resting from? Was he getting tired? What does this mean? Well, first, there's two ideas here. They're both important. First, it has something to do with completion. God rested from his work because he completed his work. He finished the work of creation. Now, obviously, the, the work of God's creation continues to develop and move, and God is very involved in his creation. But, but what this is telling us, and, and what we obviously believe about creation, is that God has finished the work of creation. He has created the universe. He's formed and shaped the world, and he rested. He stopped creating. It has something to do with completion. And then secondly, it has something to do with holiness. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In his rest, there is a display of holiness. Now, you've heard me talk about this uh, before, but God exists in three persons in perfect rhythm. The church fathers refer to this as the perichoresis, the great dance of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect love, perfect movement, perfect harmony with one another. And then when God begins to create, everything in creation is an overflow of the character and the rhythm and the nature of God. The Hebrew idea of this, of this kind of holiness is just shalom, right? Wholeness, peace, all is right, all is as it should be, all is well with the world, shalom. And I think this idea of God's rest has everything to do with this wholeness, this holiness. There is, this is right, this is well. Completion and holiness. So what does this mean for us? Well, the author of Hebrews um, actually gives a lot of detail on this, and I, I wish I had more time to, to, to jump into the Hebrews 4 passage. But one of the things that the author of Hebrews says when kind of reflecting on this idea is he says, strive to enter the rest of God. Strive to enter into God's rest. Strive to enter into the true rest of God. So if, if we now on, on this side of Christ, he's completed and fulfilled all the law, what does it mean for us, reflecting on the character of God, to strive to enter into the rest of God? Well, I think it means the same thing. <laughs> Completion and holiness. Strive to complete the work that God has called you to. Don't despise the instruction of the Lord. As the author of Hebrews says, don't harden your heart toward the instruction of God. Strive to complete the work that God has called you to. Strive to cross the finish line faithfully. You know what your life is? You know what your whole life is? You were made by God to reflect his image, to reflect his glory, to reflect his character. That's your life. 
That's, that's your chief purpose. That's why God made you, to reflect his glory, to reflect his character. And so listen to his voice and obey him over and over and over and over again. Do not harden your heart. Christianity is about long-term obedience in the same direction. That's the Christian life. Long-term obedience in the same direction and completion Completing what God has called us to is usually a long-term calling. You know, we just talked about how our work could change the world. We work well, if we work hard, if we work quietly. You know the thing about that is you can't do that next week, right? You know, I don't want you to come back next Sunday and be like, you know what? I worked quietly this week and nothing changed. No, that's something you have to do for like 40 years, right? The completion is, is long. It's consistency. It takes a long time. And here's the deal. If you mess up at the end, you know, how many people have gotten to the end of their life? They've had such a great reputation. They've done so much. They had, they had a cultural influence like we talked about. And they get to the end of their life, they do something stupid, and they're forgotten about. You got to complete the race that God's called you to. There's something about completion as you strive to enter the rest of God, strive to cross the finish line faithfully. God's called me to be a faithful husband. Again, I can't do that like today. <laughs> I can start doing it today, but it, it's something I won't complete until I die. God's called me to be a faithful parent. All right, that's exhausting. I remember the very first night Emriana was born, and like we were there, we were excited, mothers were around, and then all of a sudden everybody leaves us, and it's just Paige and I in the hospital room, and Emriana's there, and um, you know, like every time she coughs, you know, we're just new parents, and we're like, is she going to die? Is she dying right now? Is she choking to death? And you're like, you can't fall asleep, and you're like, can I keep, I can't even get to 6 a.m. on this, you know? How can I keep this up for the rest of my life? Completion is long. But don't harden your heart. Strive to enter the rest of God. Strive to complete the work that he is calling you to. The Sabbath is a reminder to us as we strive to enter the great Sabbath. It's a reminder to us of the completion, of completion and, and Completers don't stop short, they stay on track. And then thirdly, and then secondly rather, as we, as we strive to enter Sabbath rest, we're called to holiness. And I believe what God's saying here is, is to, to be near to his presence. Strive to be near the presence of God. Stay near the presence of God as we seek the ultimate Sabbath rest, which is being in the presence of God forever and forever. Draw near to the presence of God. You know why some of you don't regularly worship, and why some of you don't have much of a prayer life, and why some of you don't read your Bibles on a consistent basis, is because you don't love the presence of God. You don't love his presence. You're not striving to be in his presence. And you know why? It's because here's why. The presence of God is hard. It's hard to be in the presence of God. It's, it's a conforming thing. It's a challenging thing. 
our God is, the Bible says our God's a consuming fire. <laughs> He's always consuming away the illusions that we find ourselves in. And sometimes we like those illusions. Sometimes those illusions are great. I know a lot of you guys were like six years old when the movie The Matrix came out. But if you never saw it, it's about, you know, spoiler alert, I think you've had like 20-something years, but, but it's about computers basically, I mean, just super brief storyline. Computers basically take over the world and they like make human brains feel that we're living this life, but really humans are just like in a coma kind of. And, but there's a couple of humans and the, the life that they're living in the matrix is enjoyable, it's normal life, but the, a couple of humans figure out, oh, we're, the, these computers are deceiving us. It's all an illusion, it's not real. And so they are trying to break the matrix, they're trying to break through, they're trying to set the humans free, but it's hard, it's tedious, and their food's really bad, and it's just really bad living conditions. There's this one moment in the, in the, scene, in the movie where there's a guy that he's actually going to sell out on the matrix, or he's sell out on the, the humans that are trying to set people free. His name's Cypher, and He's, he's there meeting with one of these computers, basically, and he's sitting at this table, and he's eating this great steak dinner, and there's wine, and just real, all the niceties of life. And, and he says, you know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the matrix is telling my brain that it's juicy and delicious. And after nine years, you know what I realize? And then he takes a bite of the steak that's been perfectly prepared. He says, after nine years, you know, I realize ignorance is bliss. You see, the reason that so many of us, we don't love the presence of God is because in God's presence, we can't be ignorant. We can't just sit there and enjoy the meal. This is why you need the Sabbath. You need to pursue the presence of God so you won't get caught up in an illusion and waste your life Strive to enter his rest. Strive to enter into his presence and his holiness. So we've talked about practical wisdom. We've talked about the character of God. And last, what does this fourth command teach us about the gospel? And particularly our need for the gospel. You know one of the reasons so many of us don't rest? You know one of the reasons so many of us don't come near to the presence of God? You know why? Is we don't feel comfortable. We, can't, we don't feel comfortable resting because we need to justify ourselves. If we spend too much time resting, if we spend too much time in worship, that's taking away the thing that is really making us valuable. We need to keep working. We need to keep doing practical things. We, we don't come near the presence of God. We don't feel worthy to come near the presence of God. So oftentimes we just, we go amuse ourselves with other things we go amuse ourselves. That makes us feel better for a while, right? You go do something fun, it makes you feel better for a while. But then eventually it, it doesn't last. It kind of wears off. I ended up saying, well, I, I need to just work more. I need to do something more exciting, more interesting. There's this famous interview. Um, it's 25 years old or more now. It came out in the 90s from Vanity Fair magazine with Madonna. It's right in the heart of her career, right in the height of her career. And she says in this interview, I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it 
to discover my, myself again as a special human being. And then I got, get on to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended. And it probably never will. You know, some of you are proving your worth. You're proving that you're a special person by working. So you always are working, and you're never resting. And the truth is, you'll never be able to work enough. And you'll retire someday, and your company will forget about you in two years. Some of you are proving your worth by resting, right? You're resting, and you do these great experiences and great vacations, and you're doing these amazing things, but it always wears off. Some of you are trying to prove your worth by obeying these commands. You're a strict Sabbatarian. You're always faithful to complete the work that God has given you to do, but are you really faithful to complete it? Are you really always in his presence? John Bunyan always used to say, run, John, run, the law demands, but it gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us to fly, and then it gives us wings. You see, there's only one thing that will really make you feel right before God, that will really allow you to enter into his presence and feel secure in his presence, to feel pulled and at peace in his presence. There's only one thing that will make you feel truly loved, or to quote Madonna, to feel truly like a special human being. And that is the finished work of Christ applied to your life. That is the finished work of Christ applied to your life. You know, it's Holy Week. This week is Holy Week. And of course, the climax of Holy Week is Easter, where Jesus is raised from the dead, where he overcomes death, where he begins his eternal kingdom, a kingdom that breaks into the matrix, if you will is the full and true and real and eternal kingdom. But before you get to Easter, we celebrate Good Friday. And why do we call it good? We call it good because as Jesus is dying on the cross, his very last words were this, it is finished. It is finished. The work is complete. Our justification before God is complete. Jesus loved us so deeply, so much, that he was willing to give himself. He was willing to pay our debt before God so that we can come freely into the presence of God without fear, without having to prove ourselves. We can be near to God. And, and we can let him do his work on us. And even though it may sting we know that his posture towards us is one of love and acceptance and grace. Strive to enter the rest. And there's really only one way to strive to enter the rest is to remember that in the gospel, you are loved by God through the work of Christ. So look to Jesus. Remember that you are greatly loved. Believe in Christ. Believe that you are truly a special person in him because if you have faith in him, you have been loved by God and called to be in his eternal family. Do you believe this? Do you believe that 
through the finished work of Christ, you can really rest. That you can really rest in him. That you really have an identity in him that cannot be taken away. Do you really believe that? And you see, if you do, and if I do, then we'll remember the Sabbath day. We'll rest before him. We'll worship him. We'll center our lives on him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words, for this rule of rhythm. I pray, Father, that as we meditate on it, it would lead us to gospel dependence and lead us to balance and lead us to true rest, Lord. May we strive to enter the rest that you have given us in Christ. May we be faithful to complete what you've called us to complete. Father, may we, may we always seek your presence. May we stay in your presence, not just weekly, but daily. Consume, Lord. Consume what you need to consume in our lives. Burn it away. Bring conviction. Refine what you need to refine. I pray, Father, that now you would, you would encourage and build up your church. The Spirit of God, Lord, that's at work, uh, that you have sent, Lord, to be at work in our lives, would be at work in our lives. And that you would, you would bring about for yourself a church that is pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord, that you are doing this work, that you have done this work, and that you are doing this work in Jesus, our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.